I went to all the big bodyguards around because I knew that the big guys didn't have options for clothing. So if I gave, I only had money for 50 shirts. So if I gave the 50 shirts to all the cool kids, they'd wear it one time, throw it away. The big guys wore it 10 times a month. And where were those big guys? They were always in front of the red rope. They was always in front of the club. They were always the guys who were the bodyguards. They were always big. So what happened was I built influence with them first. Then the LL Cool J's and the Run DMC's of the world would say, hey, man. Where's mine? (laughs) Yeah, what am I? (laughs) Chop liver? No, you're too cool. No, I'm not. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health and wellness podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you. Now, I know you're excited about this one. I know I am. I have so many great questions to ask. I'm always trying to find entrepreneurs and business people that can help raise our minds and raise our awareness in our own businesses, in our own passions, and in our purpose. And today's guest, as you know, is none other than Damon John. He's the founder and CEO of FUBU, a celebrated global lifestyle brand with a multi-billion dollar empire, which he built from the ground up. He's among the country's most visible entrepreneurs as one of the stars of ABC's Emmy award-winning series, Shark Tank. Damon is a New York Times instant best-selling author with multiple books, and today I'm excited to talk with him about what it takes to be an outstanding entrepreneur and his new book, Power Shift, which is out on March 10th. Damon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really happy to have you, man. Excited to learn it. from you. Excited to I'm, hear your I'm, insight. I'm excited to learn from you as well. Yeah, I wanted to start on a bit of a personal tone because I always feel like with, with entrepreneurs and business people, everyone always asking you business questions. And I wanted to ask you, what's the latest adventure you've been on with Minka, your, your daughter? Uh, what, what's the latest thing? Uh, I don't know. I bought two donkeys. You did? Uh, yeah, I bought two donkeys. True story. Yeah. yeah true oh, story. wow. Okay. Okay. So one named Felicia, one named Debo, because I wanted to, you know, when we drive, when we leave, I wanted her to say, bye, Felicia. <laughs> and um, and she wakes That's me up every day to say, I want to go see the donkeys, but she won't touch them. Oh, okay. Yeah, she'll just stay in the car. She'll be like, yo, I'm, I'm cool from over here. That's so I got to, I got to, I got to get her to touch the donkeys. That's, that's my, uh. My newest thing with her. Oh, I love that, man. I was not expecting that. See, I love that. What do you expect? That, no, I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, that's that's cool. I, I I'll find I'm gonna need to find any other fathers that go <laughs> go do that. I love that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> tell us about tell us about one of the biggest lessons you've learned by by being a father. Like what's what's come to you from that experience in your life? Uh well, this is my third time being a father. My that's my cool. my oldest girls are twenty seven and twenty one or twenty six and twenty one. I can't forget I can't remember, but um I don't know what the best. I mean, uh, being a father, you learn so many different lessons um, that, uh, you know, I think it's human nature to uh, be able to figure things out and manipulate the situation as a kid. <laughs> you know, I mean, she, you know, she's she's my, my youngest Minka. And just like all my other ones, they, they, they realize how to negotiate, how to manipulate at a very, very, very young age. Interesting. Um, it comes natural to them. Yeah. Yeah. They get that from you. No, 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 no come no. natural. Kids, <laughs> kids figure it out, right? They'll figure yeah. out they can get away with this person with this. They can get away. I remember, you know, we were probably in a car ride about a month ago. She said, well, if I don't get this, I'm going to cry. Yeah. And she, 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 she messed it up for herself because now I know that she knows that when she cries, she gets this. And she, she slipped up, you know, in the negotiation part, process right there, right? She told you. She told me basically, I know, my, I know your weakness. If I don't get this, I'm going to cry now. You know, she's crying. Whenever she's crying, she doesn't get anything. I don't care if she, she needs nine stitches. I don't care if she's crying. 
you know? Yeah, what's your weakness when it comes to negotiation? Or what's the one you've had to build the most on that you saw in your early days of business? I think trust. I think mm. that, um, what is the difference? I trust too much. Right. I just, you know, you know, when you, I'm a person, I try not to lie. I, 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 to say that I don't lie would be a lie, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that when I see people and they're, um, they're talking about something and I mean, when there's somebody who's really foul, the straight lying, I can't believe you're just lying. Mm. I just, I, it just doesn't come to me as a concept. I mean, unless you're just, don't get me wrong. If I see somebody and I feel like they're a con man or con woman, I understand they're trying to get over but when people are just like, let's say on Shark Tank, you know, when they're like, um, I did $800,000 in sales in a year and I said $800,000 in sales and I find out that it was $800,000 in sales in 10 years, Ooh. I actually believe that they heard it wrong. They heard the question wrong. Right. Because you know I'm going to find out. Like, why are you lying? So I think that's my my biggest challenge. I'm, I'm a... I'm a very optimistic person. I believe yeah. in people. You like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to do that. Yeah, it, it it always ends up with the same results. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I end up, I end up, uh, you know, smashing them or cutting them off or whatever the <laughs> case see. is. But it's just the process. It's just like, ah, oh, damn, oh, you had to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's worse for that person who's done that. Like it makes them look worse because you actually gave them an opportunity it to makes, shine. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But unfortunately, I think we live in this fear-based society where we're more scared of telling the truth because the truth may be less impressive, it may be less respectable, it may be less powerful. Yeah, I had a, I had somebody who was domestic help, who uh, a caretaker. Um, she, she wasn't supposed to use Uber unless she was picking up the baby or something. She used about $8,000 worth of Ubers in like a year and, and she kept lying and it was on the car and I said don't you, you 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 I was so surprised I said to her you know I said I'm not disappointed that you stole I'm disappointed that all the Uber drivers made the money and not you <laughs> so true and she that kept lying so I was like that's yeah. so stupid if so you're gonna stupid. lie about it you should have just stole some jewelry or something what's wrong with you you idiot yeah anyway so true <laughs> well yeah cool that makes sense I love that I think that's great advice I think it's nice to see, though, that people, when they understand this, hopefully people are listening and watching to this, if they're ever going to ask for investment, be truthful, be honest. Be it's great. We're going to find out sooner or later. Yeah, people are going to find out anyway. No, I love that, man. And you obviously started, your first job, if, I, if I'm correct, ever was giving out flyers. Yeah, my first job that I was paid by ago. somebody else was giving out flyers, was yeah. handing out flyers, $2.25 per hour. $2.25 an hour. Yeah, it's what I pay yeah. my employees now. <laughs> Who who gets that? The CEO? Uh -huh. <laughs> who's, who's getting paid that much? Uh, but yeah, so when you're getting asked to do that at 10 years old, what was the biggest lesson you learned as a 10-year-old getting $2.25 an hour? I was in charge of my own destiny. I mean, I took the job because I wanted the job because my father had left and um, I became the man of the house. I was the only child. And my mother had to start working so many, like uh, several jobs to put the same amount of food on the table. And... I learn responsibility and I, you know, I say it in my speeches, responsibility is something that must be taken. It can't be given. And, um, I didn't want to be a burden to her. So whether it was me giving in my little bit of money to help with the bills or, or for groceries or listen, I wanted fresh kicks. I wanted something like that. And I didn't, and it felt funny. Like she could barely pay the bills, but yet I'm asking her to buy me clothes. Mm. When the clothes that I have are fine. I mean, if I have to wear the same exact clothes every single day, 
I have clothes. I've been to countries where people don't even have clothes, right? Uh, so um, <clears throat> I think responsibility is the thing that, that, that was the most, you know, that I took from that. Yeah, I love that. That's a great lesson. I think it was Gandhi who said that I was sad because I didn't have any shoes and then I saw a man with no feet. And, it, yeah. and it's that same principle that you're saying that yeah. when you look at that perspective, that difference, yeah. we're just looking at what we don't have, right. not realizing the people around us actually don't have a lot more than that. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's a beautiful lesson at 10 to learn that. It's pretty early to learn that as well. Yeah, but you know, you're not, you're not, you're not realizing you learn a lesson when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're doing it and you reflect back on the lessons you've learned, often you didn't realize at the time that you were learning the lesson that was a lesson, you know? Yeah. What I love about this book, Power Shift, is that you've looked at a lot of research on negotiation. Yeah. And you've been a serial negotiator your whole life. Yeah. What was the thing that surprised you the most from the research, if anything? Because obviously you've done this practically. You never sat down and read a textbook on how to negotiate. Right. Yeah, and I, I think you brought up a good point. When I wrote the book uh, about power shift, about negotiations, I realized I was exercising a lot of these tactics and or methods to negotiate but I didn't have an actual plan or method to do it. So I started to find these common threads with a lot of people who negotiated. Um, what I didn't realize uh, about negotiation is that negotiation doesn't start when you get to the table. Mm. It starts way before you get to the table. So that's why the book is not solely on negotiation. The book is on creating influence, then negotiating the deal, and more importantly, after negotiating the deal, what more can you get out of the relationship afterwards? Because hopefully the process gave you such a great relationship that the initial deal is only 5% of all the benefits you'll get out of the relationship afterwards. Mm -hmm. But when somebody says, well, how am I going to build influence? What if you run into Damon John in the elevator? You have a 90-second pitch. How can you build influence in that 90 seconds? That's the problem. People are very transactional. They think right then is the negotiation. That's not the negotiation. The negotiation is when I leave that elevator and I pull your name up on Instagram. And that's where my due diligence and influence have started because then all the things you said to me in the elevator, I either looked on your social media or pulled you up or looked at the company you work and I either go, I'm interested in this person or I can't wait to, I, I needed somebody like that in my life or on my staff or somebody to invest in or I go, wait a minute, that person keeps taking pictures with, this is the person's husband? And why does the husband always put up Confederate flags on his stuff and is a racist? That person must be a racist too, of course. Yeah. Uh, oh, look at when this person is, uh, the person said they work in the finance department, but they're not doing any references to any financial books or financial intelligence and they're out there talking shit. Uh, that person will never know why I never called them back. Yeah. And negotiations started way earlier. I love that. And so people, the mistake people make is they're going straight in for the win and the kill in the 90 second, because you probably get, if anyone bumps into you, I'm sure they're pitching business ideas to you all the time. And you're actually saying that's the biggest mistake because they built zero influence with you. They built zero influence or, yeah. or the influence that they've laid down that we're going to look at. You know, listen, you got to, their reputation is going to precede them because I'm going to go follow back up on that. Yeah. Right. And so then the negotiation starts, whatever that negotiation may be. And how do you care about what I want in the negotiation? A lot of people think what they want to get. Mm. And then after that, how do you nurture the relationship afterwards? Even if that first negotiation didn't really necessarily go as well, how do you nurture that relationship? Because now you have an in with me to some extent. 
let's let's circle back to that the beginning part because I love what you're saying about building influence. Tell me what was different about building influence when you started versus the way you're seeing it now when people are trying to build influence with you because you obviously built influence in a non-social media age, yeah. in a non-digital age. That was it harder? Was it slower? Was it faster? It was much slower. It right. wasn't different. It was just a different platform, right? right? It was much slower. It was much harder. It was in a much uh, a uh, smaller circle, but I had to build influence there. You know, when I went out to, you know, if we want to, we want to, let, let's say we want to talk about it today. Uh, you want to go get, get a big influencer to, uh, you know, wear your stuff or support your brand. I wanted to as well when I was a kid. I didn't go right to LL Cool J. I went to all the big bodyguards around because I knew that the big guys didn't have options for clothing. They only had a white, you know, Rochester big and tall, white shirt, black shirt, or custom-made clothing. So if I gave, I only had money for 50 shirts. So if I gave the 50 shirts to all the cool kids, they'd wear it one time, throw it away. The big guys wore it 10 times a month. And where were those big guys? They were always in front of the red rope. They was always in front of the club. They were always the guys who were the bodyguards. They were always big. So what happened was I built influence with them first. Then the LL Cool J's and the Run DMC's of the world would say, hey, man. Where's mine? <laughs> yeah, what am I? Chop liver? No, you're too cool. No, I'm not. No, you're too cool. But after six months of them seeing this brand around, that's how I built it. And it's the same thing today. If you're on a social media platform, you want to go after this big person, hit the smaller people that really value you and would really be your ambassador. The big people will talk about it sooner or later. But if you go right to them, you know, they're going to look at you like everybody else who just comes straight to them. And they're going to say, well, why am I going to be the first one to invest in your brand when nobody else does? And it's it's just all done on just a different platform today. Yeah, I love that, though. What you just shared with your story, that's genius. I mean, just understanding the positioning of bouncers, because I think sometimes people in a negative impact on ourselves is we look at, oh, look, these people are not, they're not big enough. You know, they're not important enough. Right. And, They're the and, best. Exactly, exactly. Like that's actually where it starts. And and you've got to value those people as much as you'd value the big person. Listen, I, you it's know, like, I use the example of window shoppers. You know, there's a lot of people and we've all felt like this, whoever's watching or maybe you, that maybe at a certain point in the time in your life, you didn't look right or the people didn't treat you right when you walked into a store. They, th- they mm-hmm. thought that maybe you weren't their customer and oh, you yeah. got it like I've that. I've had that right? happen a lot of times. Right. So, yeah. you know, window shoppers are the best. I'll tell you why. You know, I have a couple of dollars now. I'm okay. You know, if I go and buy a brand new, uh, I want to wear some Y3s today. Mm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to brag about it. There's no reason. I, you know, I have money. But if a window shopper sits there and goes into the store and doesn't have any money and they go, you know, one day when I'm going to get money, I'm going to buy those Y3s. Mm. You know how many people they're going to tell that to? They're going to tell it to a million people. Man, psh, whoo, wait till I get those Y3s, baby. Wait till yeah. I get the y That became your ambassador. That person just shared it with a thousand people, mm. you know, and those people are extremely, extremely important. And that's where power shift happens, because what happens is you build an influence with people. They're influencers, too. They are just talking about it in a different way. Mm. So we actually totally don't understand power shift. We don't understand what a lot power of people really is. Don't. A lot yeah. of people, a lot of people are doing it and they don't realize they're doing right. it. And they don't have a method to it. Yeah. And so, you know, but, but why not have a method to negotiating? Because, you know, the only thing that separates you and me and from everybody else is what we have negotiated in life. Mm. That's it. It's the deals we've taken, the deals we haven't taken. A lot of times, not the deals that you haven't ta- uh, taken. It's the deals you did take to screw you up, right? Yeah. And the only thing that separates us, and I've seen thousands of pitches, the only thing that separates us is the ability to negotiate. 
Yeah. I was telling my team just now, like before I really got into all of this, I was this close. I was offered this podcast deal. And this was before this one, when we did it for real. And I was this close to taking it because at that time I was positioning myself or considering myself less influential than the person who was offering it to me. Right. And so I was going to sign this pretty bad deal for me because I thought, oh, it's going to get my foot in the door. It's going to give me that break. Luckily, my lawyers held me back and we did it the right way. But tell me when is that time when you're kind of like up and coming and you're trying to, you're trying to break into that space. What is your best advice for someone like that when it comes to the deals they should and shouldn't take? Because sometimes in our desperation or in our lack of influence, we kind of get, we make big mistakes in what we say yes to. You know, that's a good, good question. All those are personal decisions that need to be made, right? Yeah. Um, because you could have taken a crappy deal here because you felt that you were going to do more in this world or whatever the case is, meaning Bethany on, um, uh, she's in the book, Bethany on Housewives. Mm -hmm. She wanted to put out Skinny Girl, so she didn't care how much Housewives were paying her initially. So it all depends on where yeah. is the value. And, and I think the question right there to, uh, that if somebody asks themselves is what's their why and what do they want to get out of it? What's the reason you're doing it for? Yeah. I see a lot of people who say, well, I want to make a million dollars. All right, what are you going to do when you get the million dollars? And they're like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to buy one really expensive car like a Bugatti. You're going to buy uh, investment homes to help pay, you know, pay for your way of life or – you know, or are you going to live off $30,000 a year in Bali uh, for 10 years and, uh, you know, and, and, and carve canoes? So, you know what I mean? <laughs> but what is it, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people, when they get to that point of, I'm going to sign the deal with the podcast or I'm going to do this show or I'm going to marry this woman or I'm going to do what is the What's the why? The mm. true why? And we, we so often don't know our why. Absolutely. And you talk about finding your light. Right, like finding that light in your book. And it's, I feel like, but do we not know the why? Because we're just seeing shiny objects and it's like that shiny object syndrome where we just go chase things. What, what is that reason that we don't stop back? Like, why are you pushing so much? Because we haven't taken inventory of ourselves the proper way, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, some, are in, some, some are in shiny objects. Some are, my parents, my parents uh, you know, my parents grew up as, uh, they're both doctors, and that's what the family should be, doctors. Mm. But you don't want to be a doctor. But you just believe that that's what it was, right? Yeah. Or, you know what, you know, whatever it is, uh, is society, it's fear. Mm. Most, a lot of times it's fear. Mm. You know, I can't quit my job uh, because I'm not going to be able to make money. But, you know, did you really realize, were you making money or not? You know what I mean? What's your why? I remember a woman who used to work for me, uh, she, she started working for me, and she had left uh, a, a job. And I, I was like, well, why did you leave the job? She said, I realized that I was going to work to get paid to fight. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, I would work nine to five every single day, uh, five days a week. And then on the weekends, I would get shit-faced and just have fights at bars because I was so miserable with my job. Mm. and the people around me. And she worked in a very violent kind of situation. She didn't know her why anymore. And then she came to me and started working in a charitable area, and she never had a fight again, and she was, she was happy. But she had to check herself and check her why. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always joke. I, was, I grew up in a family where I could be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. Like those are my free options. Right, right. It was like you either those two or you kind of didn't make it yeah. because you didn't do anything right. And you're so right, that self-inventory check of – wait, what is my purpose? Like, why am I doing this? Like, do I even care about being this? What's become your why as time has changed? Like, 
How has your why changed? Has it upgraded? Has it become deeper, better? What what's what's really? I can't happening? say that it's upgraded because I can't yeah. I can't doubt anybody for whatever their why is, right? There's no there's no better why. Yours is not better than mine. Mm. Has it changed? Absolutely. I'm 50 years old now, and my why has changed. Uh, um, 10 times. Um, but the core to my why, uh, it was a friend of mine who explained to me the core to my why. The one thing that didn't change is that I wanted to serve others. And I said, wow. I was like, I don't want to serve others. He was like, yes, you do. I was like, no, I don't. He was like, listen, you start a brand, FUBU, for the bias. You want to empower a culture. You could have called it like many designers, Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilbert called it their own name. You yeah. could have called it Damon John. Not sure yeah. if it'll work or not, but well, whatever the case is, right? Uh, then you go and you start acquiring other brands and helping people. Then you start writing books. To, and the books weren't about my lifestyle. The books were display of power, how you and I have the same power. The brand within. You're the brand. Power brand. Yeah. Then you go on. You start investing on peop- uh, in people on, on Shark Tank and start giving back educational stuff there. And then you start becoming a motivational speaker. You're always thinking about how empowering somebody else. And I thought about it and I said... Well, maybe I guess, you know, and um, um, but that didn't start off like that. I started off wanting to just dress hip hop people and I loved hip hop, you know, I never thought of it like that. So you start to define, you know, yourself and see clarity down the road. But, you know, maybe you're 18 years old right now listening to this and you have the clarity. I mean, you know, my my youngest, my oldest daughter is a uh, is a championship ballroom dancer. She's been wanting to do that since she was born. She she always knew her why. Mm. Yeah. For for some of us, we know it straight away. For most of us, yeah. it takes a bit of a journey. Yeah. And and I think you're right. It's like, you just got to be honest with what your why is right now. Take inventory. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes we're trying to figure out like, what's my why going to be in like five, 10 years, 15? You don't it change. Yeah, it yeah. can change. You don't know. Like you can't predict it. You, right. you got to figure it out right now. And I know that for me, my why has been, you know, there's been whys that have been simple. Like what you said, like wanting to serve people and make a difference. Yeah. And then when I was a kid, like my wife was just, I just want to be happy. I just want to have fun, right? And it changes. And I think that a lot of people today, we can get closer to our why by taking that self-awareness check, by just taking that inventory. I love that advice. So in your book, you talk about being diagnosed in, with cancer. Yeah. And like, for me, I feel like no matter how powerful or strong or anyone would be shaken by that news. Yeah. And, and, it, and I... There can be a shift in someone's life. There's a power shift sure. right 100%, there. 100%, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us about that moment when you find out. Yeah, I, I share a very personal story about, about the cancer thing. So I go into the hospital because uh, uh, I got an executive physical, and then they said, well, let's check your, uh, what are these veins here? Cord, uh, carotta. Check My your carotta. Terrible. Yeah, check your carotta veins to see if they're clogged at all or... Whatever, so it could reduce. You were the, feeling some pain or something? Or no, 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 no. So I, so all right. So, so, so if I want to back it up, and I know that you talk about health and wellness a lot. Uh, a gentleman of mine, a good friend of mine, who uh, was actually the manager of uh, Siegfried and Roy and Muhammad Ali, said, "Listen, with all your money, why don't you ever go get an executive physical?" And I said, "Never heard of that." I said, "I get a physical every year." I said, "You know, the, the doctor grabs my bean bag and then turns me around, spanks me on my ass, and tells me to go about my business, and everything is fine." I cough, and everything's fine, right? Yeah. He's like, "No, no, get an executive physical." I go down to UCLA. It's two days of running through all kind of things, six million dollar man type of stuff, right? Mm. And um, they check everything on your body, and then they give that report back to your doctor. So they're checking my carotid veins, and they're saying, "You know, let's make sure there's no clogging there, so you know, no possibility of a stroke." And they say, "Okay." We checked it, but they go, you know, you got a little nodule on your thyroid. You need to go check that out. Go down to the doctor. 
My doctor, he says, all right, I'm going to take a biopsy. 90% chance we know what it is. 10% chance we don't know what it is. Of course, 10% chance they don't know what it is. Go to a surgeon. He says, you're 50 years old. Uh, let me tell you something. Right now, if you were 90, I would say no matter what, don't do anything. But you're 50. And so we're you have a choice. We could take out your thyroid, but here's the issue. 50% chance we're taking out a perfectly good thyroid. 50% chance we're taking out something that could be challenging to you. I go and get the surgery. The one-hour surgery becomes three and a half hours, and they move a mass in my in my throat the size of a golf ball out of my out of my neck. Doctors, you know, they never tell you anything. So I go, what is it? Is it cancer? He says, I don't know. I got to send it to the lab. And it's about two weeks. So he sends it to the lab. And I know you're taking – and he – this is a top – surgeon in the world where it comes to this he knew what it was and i can tell so i had to mentally de- debate with myself if that if that mass was that large and and it, and it potentially moved into my lymph nodes and then it would move into my brain and i could potentially have that and take the radiation pills and the chemotherapy what's the chance of me dying mm. right and it could be a very long road of recovery and i could die so i said to myself listen i have to weigh it take inventory Two daughters, 121 to 126, beautiful women, my ex-wife, great. These girls are uh, benefit to society. They're great girls, right? My mother, I don't want to ever see my mother get old and have to bury her. I know I'm being selfish right now, so I won't see that. I also don't want to be 90 years old, you know, pooping on myself and rolling around with no teeth, right? Let me go out while I'm on top. And I got a three-year-old. She's not going to remember me. And I got a beautiful wife who's super hot. She's definitely going to be able to get another husband. I'm going to drink myself to death. No problem. I'm going to go fishing every single day. I've lived the better, a better life than I've lived 10 lives already. You can't believe what I do. I'm cool. I've accepted death. Or just the flip side. I want to walk my daughters down the aisle. My mother should not have to bury me. My three-year-old, she's going to need me. My wife is super hot. I get to sleep with that woman all every night, every day. Holy shit. So I had to negotiate with myself first. That's a power shift. You have to negotiate with yourself first. Am I going to take this on? And when I shifted my mind to saying that I'm not going to allow this cancer, and even if it is moving to my brain, and we still don't know, you know, you have to always get checked. Um, you know, if it is moving to our brain, it's not going to, it's not going to beat me, right? Mm-hmm. And before the two weeks came back, because it was like a week and a half into that, I totally forgot I even was waiting for results. And when the results came back, thank God. I was clear, um, but they still checked me out. But, you know, that made me say to myself, that's what we always have to do. We have to have this negotiation with ourselves before taking a podcast or walking away from it because your attorneys are like, don't do it. And you're like, but this is not your life. This is my life. This is my only shot right now. As far as I'm concerned, this person is bigger than I am. But you have to negotiate with yourself saying, you know what? You're here for a reason because you're, you're my attorney. You've probably seen this before. I know that I'm not going to stop. And you know what? It's a shitty deal. And why should I take a shitty deal? Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather be, because that shitty deal, I'm probably still going to be broke or not, whatever the case is. But I'll be broke underneath somebody else. I'd rather be broke knowing I made the right decision that I was in charge of my destiny. And that's what happened. You had to have a negotiation with yourself. Yeah, I love that. that thank you for sharing that, by the way, the full picture of it. Yeah. Because the way you just gave those two framings, Yeah. I mean, both, I mean, one was really well told and hilarious. And one was like, how most people would see it. And for me, hearing both those perspectives, I mean, I've got a mentor, a spiritual mentor, who's helped thousands of people back in London. He's currently got stage four brain cancer. Oh my God. And, but the amazing thing that he's done, and I think he may not say in the same words as you, but he's negotiated with himself and all he emanates is gratitude. 
Yeah. You could just not see this man in pain. Like, you right. you know, anyone else would just be falling apart. Yeah. All he does is thank everyone yeah. for the work they've done, the service they've given others, how they've served God, because that's his world. Like he's just emanating this yeah. gratitude to everyone. Yeah. And you can see that even in like the peak of pain, yeah. someone's able to reframe that. Sure. Like Absolutely. you were able to do, which is, which is phenomenal. And and I'm glad that, you know, we we pray and hope that you get to continue doing all the incredible well, work in that way, man. Like, thank you. Yeah, but that's awesome. I love that. Tell us about, let's go back a bit to building a personal brand. Yeah. Because I feel like that is such a hot topic today. Everyone's trying to do it. Where are you seeing the mistake between building a brand versus actually building yourself to be the brand, if you know what I mean? Like the perception I, I, I Where's think, your I take think, again, on it? Again, inaccurate inventory of yourself mm -hmm. and not knowing your why and also projecting something that you, you know, you don't, it's not real, mm. you know. Um, people perceive that brands are only built on positive things. Um, and I hope that everybody here listening will, will lead a life that's morally correct and things of that nature. But old dirty bastard was an old dirty bastard. I mean, this is what it is, right? And he lived mm -hmm. off of that, right? And there are a lot of brands out there and people will resonate with you if you, you know, for a lack of a better word, keep it 100, right? Um, and that's the brand that you got to build because today with transparency, with all social media and various other things, your brand can be stripped apart in a minute. And you, we see it happen all the time, mm -hmm. right? We, we can talk about all the Kardashians of the world and this and that who build nice brands, but how many people in the news every other week you're saying... That person's done. Mm. You know, their their morals and their ethics were off off kilter on what they what they what they acted like they were. Yeah. You know, so um what I'm not a, I'm not about politics, but look at our president. You know, some people hate him, some people absolutely love him, but he's he's true to his brand. However you want to uh perceive it. And some of us are disgusted and some of us are like, that's my guy. But and and you know, listen. He's the most powerful man in the world, and changing the way that a presidency has been looked at for, you know, hundreds of years. Think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a powerful brand either way. Powerful yeah. brand either way. Yeah. Tell you. You say that your superpower is picking good people. Yeah. Now, as a growing entrepreneur with multiple businesses that are growing for myself, I find and and I speak to entrepreneurs in this same space all the time. We find recruitment is probably the hardest thing. Like it's a, it's a genuine challenge. And I want to know some of your advice when I'm recruiting, what have you seen to be those giveaways, those tips, those techniques, the, the principles that you've noticed when you're hiring and the, the, you know, you've got like decades of experience of hiring the wrong and the right. Yeah. Tell, tell us a bit about that process. Well, most of my, most of my, most of my staff started as uh, third party vendors or interns, mm. the dating process. Um, and I, I noticed that the interns, when they came to the office before people who got paid to come to the office, they leave after. They are the ones who I would end up hiring that year or five years down the road. And and they, they came to the office. They were problem solvers. They were Swiss Army knives. Um, but they were likable, too. Mm. You know, uh, my businesses that have failed and my employees that have not really uh, grown, we just didn't like you know, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. Don't hire an intern for your attorney. That, that's probably that's probably <laughs> not a great idea. Right. Or you're for a doctor. Right. Don't yeah, have yeah. I don't have an intern. But, um, <laughs> you know, once you give a resume to somebody that just gets your foot in the door after that, I want to know, can I sit next to you for eight hours a day, five days a week for the next five years of my life? Yeah. Right. And same with an investment. My my entrepreneurs uh, that we failed at 
a lot of times I didn't like them or they didn't like me, whatever the case is. But if there were 10 problems, I'm not picking up the phone 10 times to talk to you. I don't like you. Maybe one time we'll pick up the phone. Right. Um, the other ones who are successful, some of those businesses failed, but then we did another business together. So I look for people that take responsibility. I love asking people, you know, there's two questions I like to ask them. You know, do you look in the toilet after you get up? <laughs> right. Um, also, what has ever happened to you that was out of your control after you were 15 or 16 years old? Now, if they don't tell me something unfortunately devastating, like, I was part of California fires or I grew up in Darfur or a drunk driver hit me. Then nothing else was out of your control. Mm. And uh, you want people who take responsibility. You know, I put a post up online the other day and it was like me and one of the hallway shot in Vegas. And I said, man, 30 days in for the new year. And I've been on the road 18 or 20 days. And I said, I have to thank my wife. She's allowing me to be who I am. Um, but I got to tell you, everybody, I, this is me and I'm very selfish and you got to be selfish because if you're not selfish for yourself, then you're not going to be able to be, you know, you're not going to be able to be um, good for anybody else. You have to be selfish and know your priorities. And a couple people wrote back, what are you talking about? I can't be selfish. I have kids. Those are my priorities and I can't be selfish. Right. You yeah. knew that you had you a kid, right? Yeah. It's not the kid's fault. Right? Definitely not the kid's fault. That was your priority. That is a decision you made that you're ignoring through the process of everything else. No, that should be part of your selfishness. Or I got to take care of my kids. However, I got to put in hours here to help help my kids, whatever the case is. But don't neglect it. It's like people, you know, you're a man of color like I am. I don't want to hear you telling me that you're a person of color. I understand system uh, uh, systemic racism has happened and everything else. But I'm not waking up Chinese tomorrow mm. or purple or white Okay, let me get over it. How am I going to now move on with life and 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 be uh, somebody who's responsible and contribute? And that's what I look for, for in my employees. Yeah, that's great advice, man. Now I know I'm definitely going to ask a few of those questions. Some of the <laughs> some of the funny ones to catch them out, but also some of the real ones. And I think the dating phase, as you put it, is makes complete sense. I feel like interviews and dates are too alike. Yeah. But the dating phase of experimenting, taking someone with you. I know for me, with my videographers, I'm always like, travel with me for a week. Yeah. Because I want to see if I can like you for a week. We can be together for a week. Sure. You can deal with me having a good day and a bad day. Yeah. You can deal with me being not interesting and really interesting the next day. Like, yeah. you can deal with the fact that I'm a normal human being. Sure. I'm not always on and off. And, and you know, even, with, even if I was with uh, somebody like that, <clears throat> I'm also watching other things. Are you now learning editing? Are you learning um, CG? Are you learning, you know, yeah. while you're out there? Because if you're only going to do this, are you learning new equipment? Are you learning new ways? Because I want to see you being a problem solver because what you're going to do, you're going to plateau at a certain point. Now I got to get another videographer and an editor when you can maybe solve that challenge for me. And if you can't, I know you're trying. Yes. And if you can't work it out, you know what you're going to do? That person, they're going to say, I'm not really good at it, but I kind of learned the basics and let me bring this other person in or let me help you. Like a problem solver. Yeah. Know? I can relate to what you said earlier. Like, I feel like I'm someone who likes to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I like to trust rather than like micromanage and like sure. watch over people's shoulder. What do you like when you feel someone has intentionally screwed you over or manipulated you or taken advantage? How do you respond and react to that? And how have you seen that response be more effective as you've become more mature in business? I'd love some training, basically. I'm asking for free coaching right now. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, I try to understand. First of all, I don't take it personal. Mm. Number one, because I say to myself, I don't know if that person's mother 
told them all their life, you know, the only way you're going to get anywhere is to stab people in the back or mm-hmm. they grew up in a, in a, we, there's a lot of people grow, growing up in very challenging areas. So I don't hold it personal. They're just trying to win that whatever they did was their form of uh, trying to win. Right. So uh, I think it was, what's the book? There's a book, uh, Habits of Influential People. You know, yeah, it's the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People. And they talk about when you're playing chess with somebody, if they make a move and do you get mad at them and curse them out because they made that move? No, because they're trying to win, right? So I, I look at it the same way. Also then I look at it, are they a good, especially with friends, I always say to myself, because I cut off people here and there because I meet new people and I not that they're replacing others, but I always say, if you're not a good enough friend to yourself, then you would never be a good friend to me, mm. right? So I do those two things. I normally don't try to get people back. I always say, it is what it is. Appreciate it. Nice knowing you. Yeah. However, this is where it goes into negotiations and building influence. If somebody does come to me about that person down the road, I'm going to tell them what happened. Yeah. You know, um, and that person that screwed me, Will will not know. I'll I'll tell. I'm probably not talking to them anymore. But they don't realize how detrimental that was. Because now, what if they screwed fifty people, and those fifty people all told fifty people? Totally. And and if they screwed someone who has some influence, yeah, then, I'm not gonna go out of my way in public to totally. tell people. But if yeah, you come yeah. to me and say, "Hey, I'm about to work with so forth and so on," I may say, depends on the on the relation violation. I may go, "Well, if I ain't got nothing good to say, I'm not gonna say anything at all." Yeah. Or I might go. Oh, no, that person's a thief. That person's stole. Yeah. Yeah, but you want to be honest with that person too. Yeah, 100%, yeah. because yeah. then what if I didn't say that and then they screw you? Yeah. And then now you were checked with and it reflects badly on you again. Yeah. People just don't think about that. Yeah, they don't think about that. I, I'm actually going through that scenario right now in a particular area of my work. And I was just sharing the same thing with my team. I was who, like, who in here screwed you? <laughs> it was, no, nah, no, nah, nah, no one in this room. You know, no you know it, it, works on, it, work, it works on the opposite way too, you know, um, yeah. uh, about negotiation and building influence that, you know, we look at the social networks and stuff like that. We look at that as how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. But it really started from one thing, networking. Now, what I've noticed that, uh, you know, if I just meet you at a bar and uh, you're, you have a small commercial building, you're looking for a great plumber. I'm not going to recommend my um, my uncle Zeke because uh, he burnt the turkey during Thanksgiving. He named he never paid me back ten dollars for uh, you know for yeah. three years, and he punched me in my my mouth six six you know when I was six years old. Mm. But if I met somebody else who was a plumber recently, I'd say I don't really know this person that well. They seem like they were really buttoned up, organized person. Mm-hmm. I don't know them that well, but you know what? Why don't you take a card and you call them and see what happens? Yeah, because I have no vested interest there. But yet I shared it with somebody else. And that's exactly what social media and retweeting, whatever the case is. And that builds influence. Mm-hmm. That's why networking is so big. Uh, but a lot of people just don't grasp the simplicity of what we're talking about here. Yeah. When, when we talk about that, we're talking about networking. And even now when I was asking you for coaching, you talk a lot about how the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is not having mentors in their life. Right. I 100% agree with you. I think the challenge right now is that you have a group of people who want people to be their mentor. I'm so, I mean, I don't know how many times you get asked that question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, Damien, will you be my sure. mentor? Will you be my sure. mentor? What is the process to ask someone to be your mentor? What does that look like when someone's asking you that That's question? That's a good question. So first of all, why do you want them to be the mentor? Because, um, you know, 
do you want them because they understand the fundamentals? Because a health mentor and a business mentor and various other people are going to be different ways, uh, you know. Also, what's in it for the mentor? Mm. I have a lot of people come and tell me their problems, right? And it's cool. But there's an old saying, don't tell anybody your problems. 20% don't care and the other 80% are really happy you have them, right? Mm. So why the hell are you telling me you got damn problems? I got my own problems. What's in it for the mentor? Mm. That's the challenge that I find with uh, a lot of the, the people that seek out mentors and also are the mentors accessible. Mm. Uh, you can try to get a hold of me as a mentor and hopefully I could be one, but that's why I write the books and do social media. But you're going to talk to me, what, one time every six months? But if you have somebody that, that has a car dealership locally in your neighborhood who's been there for 20 years, that person understands the fundamentals of business just like anybody else. They've mm-hmm. been through inflation. They've been through changing of technology. They've been Economic through downturn. all kind of yep. stuff, right, for 20 years. Why are you looking at me? You're going to talk to me once every six months where you can go over there and wash those cars for that person and get your, uh, you know, uh, your karate kit on over there, a wipe on, wipe off, whatever it is, and talk to that person, right? What's in it for the mentor, Mm -hmm. right? So you want me to teach you about business? Clean some damn cars over here. Yeah. Or you want Damon John to teach you? Well, you know that I love to save animals. Go donate some time at the ASPCA or animal shelter three days, two days a week, argument's sake, and I'll spend one hour a day speaking to you. What's in it for that person? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And because I think sometimes mentorship now is it's growing in its popularity. It's become like a, a popularity contest to some degree. So you just want to be able to say someone's your mentor. Or I never thought of that. That's yeah, a good point. Yeah, it, you know, it's it, as it grows in popularity, like my, I feel the same way. I say this all the time. I'm like, half the time Richard Branson or you or whoever may not be the right mentor. This person in your local business could be the right person 100%. for you. And then like what you said, I've, I talk a lot about how you can be mentored by people you've never met by reading their books, by studying their I was lives, mentored but, by Napoleon Hill. That's who yeah. mentored me. Think and Grow yeah. Rich. I, I've read the book now 17 yeah, it's times. it's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I've always said people like Martin Luther King, Steve Jobs, Einstein, like I've studied their lives. I've looked at how they made good and bad decisions, what they got right, how they did it, how they thought about stuff. Yeah. And I've learned so much more. I never met any of them. And, and, and I think there's so much power in that. Well, that's the power. That's, that's why you're, you're sharing people the power of reading or audiobooks, because what you'll find is that a lot of the people didn't know each other. Steve Jobs may not have known this person, that person. But when you start to find defining and, and similarities and all these great uh, pieces of information you're getting, mm. I mean, is everybody wrong? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and you find patterns, right? Oh, like there's man. patterns. There may be different they're all, words. They're all like, goal setters, right? Yeah. They all are uh, focused on something. They all are driven. They all have failed, but they fail fast. They mm. all reset their goals. They all, uh, you know, focus generally on some level of family, spirituality, or health. There's something, you know, and, and you know, you can find it all in, in all these books. Yeah. What are, What are some of the mistakes you're seeing people make in negotiations. We talked about a few of them of like, you know, going straight in for the kill, straight in for the win. What are the other common mistakes? Not knowing where they're willing to settle or where they will, or, or, or what they want to get out of what they're doing. So you don't have your boundaries set up. You don't have your boundaries set up. Um, Not stating in the beginning or, you know, you know, Everybody feels that if they say the number first, they're the one who loses. A lot of times you set the boundaries for it and you just know where it's at, right? Not caring about the other person and what they want and not listening to them, cutting them off. You know, when, when you know, you're supposed to communicate like your face is built, right? Like you have one mouth and two ears, right? You're supposed to listen twice as much as you um, 
talk. And if I said to you right now, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling that well, but so I think I'm going to go to the store and get, you know, you may, if you cut me off, you don't know if I'm going to say I'm going to go to the store and get some medicine or I'm going to go to the store and get some food or I'm going to go to the store to pick up my wife and then she's going to take me home from there. You've never heard the last part of the information. And when people are communicating with you, almost the most valuable piece of information they're trying to share is at the end. A lot of people try to cut people off and stuff like that. Wow. Also, not understanding body language and how people communicate. You know, over 60% of communication is body language. Only 8% is what people care about. Uh, is Only 8% is what you say. And the rest is how you say it. Yeah, that's for sure. That is 100% for sure. What's the worst body language in a negotiation that you've seen or you've perceived? Is it as simple as like, you know, closed body language, crossed hands, or is it more like just lack of eye contact and lack of like, what are the... What are the First of all, it's a handshake. Yeah. Second of all, it's not remembering people's names, <laughs> right? Um, but it depends on what side of the table you're on. Mm. You know, with I'm a, you know, if I'm a guy and I'm negotiating with you and I feel... Like, mm, it's okay if I want to do the deal or not. But if your legs are cock spread wide open and or your, you know, your, 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 your legs are in a triangle and you're leaning back, I'm feeling like you're trying to assert dominance on me, mm. right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to start either leaning back or doing the same, right? So it all depends on how you're looking at, at the individual, you know what I mean? And, 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 and listen, you could be in a cold room and somebody's crossing their arms. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's because, you know, they're trying to play off, mm. you know. Um, so those are a lot of things that people can do. Like when you're looking at body language, it's, it's very important. If you walk into a room and you want to have more of an intimate discussion, don't put any objects between you. Now, we have mics between us, but you'll see people and they don't, they're not conscious they're doing it, but they'll put big trays in between people and big phones because they want to create this distance because yeah. they don't, they, they don't want to be that close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Big table and trays and then, yeah. Yeah. And listen, this is a lot of little keys you can use, you know, uh, people believe that you're less likely to lie when you're touching them. So make sure when you're leaving, you know, you shake their hand and say at that moment, I can't wait to do further business with you. Yeah. That's how you feel. Yeah. It, that's going to be twice as more effective than just saying it when you leave. Yeah, totally. The thing I find though, that with the people who do this maturely and immaturely is like, sometimes you see someone who's following the textbook version, but it's a technique. It's not real. Right. And I feel like that's what you always sense that, you know, you can sense when someone like knows all the NLP and the perfect way to look at someone, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. you know, and you learn all those techniques, but then when it's not genuine, when, when that person doesn't believe it, someone like you who's been in business for many, many years is going to sense that straight away. Yeah. You know, when you sense that when they're, they're, they're all buttoned up, they're printing and every time you ask a question, they go, and you know what? That's a really good question. <laughs> Bullshit. You know, that's not a good question. And I ask them stupid ass questions sometimes. So then they tell me that's a really good question. I go, okay, no problem. I, I want to, can I one day just watch you interview? So I just want to watch. Like, I just want to literally, I can just hide anywhere behind a curtain or whatever it is. I just want to watch. Honestly, I'm not even joking. It'd be hilarious. We should film it. We should edit yeah. it up. Like, we should, show, we should do that. We should show you catching people out. It should be an addition to Shark Tank. It should be an added moment. Oh, it's on Shark Tank. Yeah. The pictures sometimes an hour and a half long, yeah, and yeah. you don't see when we're, when we're saying stuff like that. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But you must laugh a lot in between. Of course we do. Yeah, you must laugh a lot in between the kind of stuff you If you see. think I'm saying crazy shit, you should hear Barbara and Kevin. Oh, really? Oh, my God. But they don't say it on camera, but you say it. They say it on camera. The, it ABC edits it out because you got these poor little kids watching the show. <laughs>
Tell me about, you know, having been in business, I mean, since you worked at 10 years old, so four decades of, of experience, what challenges you now in a negotiation, a persuasion in business? What, what is like the thing that challenges you now? And it may not even be business. It might be more personal. What's, what keeps you excited and focused? Stop saying no. Saying no challenges me now because, you know, you want to say yes to everything. Right. And, and it's, and it's, and the only thing you can't get back is time. So your inventory is your time. Um, I think that's the most challenging thing. Um, because of, listen, at 50, if I do deals right now, um, they may be around until I'm 70. Do I know that I, that's what I want to still do, you know, and work that hard on new businesses? But I just love business too. And yeah. the opportunity is there. Right. So I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, uh, yeah, that's it. And, and time. Yeah. Because I need more time to take care of my health and be with my, my little girl. Mm. So it's really time I look at. Mm. Was there a deal that you were like, oh, I wish I never passed on that? Were any of those, or have you always felt good about? No, no, never. Because um, it doesn't mean that if I did the deal that the outcome would have been the same. Mm. And um, some deals I've passed on um, have turned to be really big, big, big deals. However... If I if I if I go in life being concerned about the ones I passed on, but what about all the ones that failed that I passed on? Mm. Right? I can't. I you know you can't have it all. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it seems like you have that sense of like that detachment and that bird's eye view because I feel like that that takes a lot of maturity too to be able to. Understand. No, it takes being screwed a bunch of times <laughs> and losing a bunch of money on shitty deals and then going, wait a minute, wait a minute, missed the know it all. Yeah, yeah. Did you check those boxes prior to doing the deal that you know you need to check? Yeah. No, you emotionally was invested in it and you got too excited about it. Yeah, tell us that, actually. I like that because it, when I'm listening to you, like, you know, you have a big heart, you're optimistic, you want people to win, yeah. which are all beautiful emotional qualities. When is it right to let emotion be useful in business and when it can it be wrong? I think gut and okay. emotion are two different things. I think okay. your gut told you not to do the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I think... We don't trust our gut. I didn't start to learn to trust my gut until I was about 35 years old uh, for two reasons. I think that at first I was like, nobody, who are you, David, Mr. Know-it-all? Why? You know, whatever. You know what I mean? Or the numbers look good on paper yeah. or whatever the case is. And I didn't learn to trust my gut. Um, emotion is fine, but you still got to check the boxes. Mm -hmm. You still got to say, man, I really want to do this. You know, like, you know, listen, it's like meeting a beautiful girl for me but for other people it could be guy or girl whatever yeah. the case is and everything's right it only goes down after that usually you know yeah when you think everything's right you know you go on a date with her and shit and it's really nice and then she takes her teeth out <laughs> you know at the table nothing, nothing wrong with having fake teeth but you didn't tell me about those yeah, fake, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean and then yeah. she just she smells really bad she, i didn't i didn't I'm know so, it sounds like it's happened to you before I, no, no. But, <laughs> um and that's what happens usually with businesses and stuff like that. You get really excited over it, but maybe you didn't look at all the boxes. Uh, is the distribution right? Is the operator, the partner, are they, are they a great partner? Mm. You know, um, so it, it just happens. So it has happened to me in, in the past a lot. Mm. Um, so now I'm, I'm almost like, you know, I like to say it like, I'm a, I don't get buyer's remorse as much because it's like if I go to the store and I see something I really like, I don't buy it right away. Yeah. I go home. But if I can't get that off my mind, I'll go back. Yeah. Right? And it's the same thing on the business. You see, Shark Tank, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's all speeded up because we're right there in the room that time. And I got to make that decision. But normally other businesses, 
I could look at it for two months, three months, six months. They were like, well, we got another deal coming. All right, take it. If not, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it for a little while. Yeah. You were mentioning that you were spending a lot more time on your health and wellness now. Yeah. Like that's become a priority. What are some of the routines or aspects that have become key for you personally in the way you're doing it? Um, I try to get an IV every week. Okay. Uh, you know, um, I started taking testosterone because uh, I had a low, low testosterone level, but I didn't realize, and right around the time with the cancer, I didn't realize that maybe half the reason I was thinking so negatively because I had low testosterone, I, that almost puts you in depression, wow. right? You know, so, you know, I, I make sure I take that. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to stop, cut down on alcohol and on um, meats uh, and go more um, plant-based, Um of course, uh, you know, um, being on the road a lot, I need, uh, I, I rip my, my shoulder, but I need to, you know, obviously try to put in an hour to two hours worth of some level of cardio every single day. Mm. And I go to the doctor every, uh, as much as I, uh, acupuncture as well. Um, oh, nice. And then I go to the doctor as much as I can to have my blood levels checked and everything else to make sure that everything's in line. I make that a priority over everything else. Mm. Yeah. And those all sound like good Easy to do things now. Yeah, and I try and I try to alkaline my body as much as possible. Yeah, you know, green juices and everything else. Yeah, that's a huge one. I I've been taking celery juice for the past three months. It changed my life. Yeah, I heard celery life juice is really great. Life changing. I mean, I heard a lot of people. There was a lot of we we had the king of celery juice on the podcast, mm -hmm. the medical medium, and it's like a lot of people are like, oh, he's just trying to make money. I was like, he doesn't own celery, like you know. Yeah, yeah. But then, like you know, the guy doesn't. Maybe he owns celery farm. You drink it every morning. Yeah, I drink it every morning. It's mm -hmm. changed my life, and I was the same. Like. It was to alkaline my body. It was the yeah. same thing. And and I started doing it for the past three months and I feel phenomenal. And I was yeah. and I can't and it's it's not just a placebo effect because I know how my stomach feels. Right, right, right. You right. know what I mean? It's not just how I yeah. feel up here. It's like I can tell them my gut. Do they sell it like that or you gotta go get a blended at the whole at the um the natural food? So store? there's a method of blending it perfectly to have its most like rich form at home, which he talks about in his book, but I just get it. I just pick it up at like Creation or Cafe Gratitude or one of these health stores. Uh, but you can do it to the perfect kind of consistency. And the celery juice king told you that? Yeah. Well, that's not his name. His name's the medical medium, but he's like well known for. Okay. So being, he didn't name himself celery juice he king. He did not did call he? himself that. I just called him that. Yeah. You yeah. called him celery juice king? Yeah, yeah. All right. Is that a good name? <laughs> I guess. Make you listen to him? No, no, no. He's like, he's the guy who's like most well known for being the movement bringer of like Drink more celery juice. Got it. That's Got what I mean. It. But it. but it worked. As my point is, it works. I feel better. So it's Got it. It's great. Uh, a few more things that I want to touch on. You just you know even from today, this is the first time we're meeting. Yeah. You know, we know a lot of people we have on the podcast. I've met them before. I'm friends with them. I know them. I didn't. I was fascinated by you because I find you hilarious. I oh, find you, you real. Uh, I find you someone who leads with their heart but takes their head with them effectively. Sure. Uh, in, in the way you make decisions, where you talk about legacy in your book and building legacy. What's building your legacy right now? Like where, where are you seeing your legacy go? I think my legacy is being built um, by men, women, people of color, people who felt that they didn't have the, the wherewithal or the resources to become successful. And I think that they see me because I make it very transparent about mm -hmm. dyslexia and lack of having a great upbringing slash education and resources that I think they see me and they say that they can do it. And I, I just hope that the next Oprah Winfrey or Steve Jobs is, you know, uh, you know, at home, 10 years old, uh, in their pajamas, eating some cereal, watching me on TV and saying, well, why can't I do it? You know, because when I grew up, I, I didn't see anybody who, 
could do it who looked like me. Um, and when I did see them, they had something to do with sports or music. And if you didn't have a talent or you couldn't have, you know, you weren't an athlete, then how can I do it? Right. Um, but when you see me and unfortunately, you know, uh, I'm one of the few people of color on TV, business orientated, that's globally recognized that created a brand, unfortunately. Um, and there's many who have done that many. Right. But when you see me, that's 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 what I think is going to be my legacy. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, and I think that's an awesome one. It's definitely for me, too. You know, I never grew up seeing anyone who looked like me on TV. Yeah, but now people get to see you. Yeah. Right. And yeah, and um, you know, I don't know much about your 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 history. I know a little bit about it, and um, my my team was uh, sharing with me. But, you know, you're going to change people's lives. There's going to be somebody out there who wants Thanks. to do exactly, or you probably are already. You're probably doing it from different ways, but they're going to want to emulate you. So a lot of times when the kids come up to me and say, "I want to be on Shark Tank," I go, "Yeah, we need somebody to replace Kevin. I want you to sit. <laughs> on, I don't want you to be." There, I want you to be here. Yeah, They're yeah. like, well, I'm gonna be like you. I'll be like, no, you're not gonna be like me because then you're gonna fail. I want you to be bigger than me. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I find that mentors who can say that, yeah. that's the real deal. When you say, I'm happy for you to be bigger than me, that's that's Please really do. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, man. Thank you again for that. I really appreciate it. You've talked a lot. Your book just focused on relationships, relationships, relationships. But what I liked about your book is that it's simple yet profound. Like it's easy for anyone to understand. Yeah, but. It's like you're breaking it down. And one of the ones that I love, and you say, be slow to judge and quick to forgive. Yeah. And I feel like that is so powerful and counterintuitive to the way we are today. We're very fast to judge and we take ages to forgive, right? Or we never <laughs> yeah. get there. Tell us how you learn that and how you learn to do that in business and in life. Well, it goes back to a little bit of what we were saying earlier yeah. that, you know, who am I to judge you? I mean, listen, only God can judge you, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, and when I make a decision on Shark Tank, it's only if this investment is good for me. It's not if you're going to be good in life or not, right? Um, and, I, you know, I've learned that I've made the wrong judgments often, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, I, and, and then I should have forgave those people. You know, there was a, I don't know if I put it in, this, in the book, but there was a woman, <clears throat> a woman who worked for me one day, and this is when I first started FUBU, and FUBU was just getting going, and I was like, she kept coming to the office at 11, she's supposed to be there at 9. Okay, now here's the challenge in the fashion business. On Monday morning, if people sold out of your clothes on the, during the weekend or Friday, they're calling all the vendors on Monday morning. If you're not picking up the phone at 9, then that person's not going to pick up FUBU. They're, they're, they're going to call uh, Levi's next and Nike and whoever else they sold out. So I'm going to miss a lot of money. Mm. She wasn't coming in until 11 o'clock. And I felt like I took it very personal. You are ruining my shot. You know what I've done for the last 12 years to get to this point in my life. I'm paying you. I didn't ask you to come here and apply for a job. You're applying for a job. Mm. And then my uh, partner, who was a mentor, an older guy, said to me, you ever ask her what's going on? Do you know maybe she's uh, maybe she has a mother who's sick with cancer and she knows that she's going to lose her job. But the only way that she can ever uh, help her mother in the daytime is just hold on as long as possible, get to work here and uh, do whatever. Do you know what's going on? And I said, I don't. And I, and then I said, I go, I go and ask her what's going on. Not as bad as that, but something that really wasn't great. And I could understand. We shifted around for her to come in a little later, somebody else who stayed later to come in earlier. The woman ended up working for me for 20 years, one of my best employees. And it was because I cared about her. And I just, 
asked her. You know, power shift is not about only power in you. The power shift is about reversing the power and giving it to your staff, giving it to your husband, your wife, your whoever the case is, because they'll value you more and give you more power. You know, when I'm at work, you know, I'm Batman and and everybody else is Robin. And then I'm Robin and I allowed them to be Batman too, because if I hired you to do this, then why am I acting like I know more? No, no, no. You're Batman. Tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a, that's how I came up with that theory over the course of time, though. Mm. And over the course of time, my turnover in my staff has been much, much less. I almost have zero turnover in my staff just because of the flexibility and being able to just tell people you care about them. People half the time just want to know that you give a shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's phenomenal, Damon. Thank you so much. We end every interview with a final five. So it's our rapid fire round. So you have to answer all of these questions in one word or one sentence maximum. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So here's your first one. So I'm going to name a title of your books, each of them. And I want you to give us one powerful lesson from each of them. Sound good? Okay, cool. All right. So let's start with display of power. You and I both have the same power. Which one is going to display it? I love that. That's awesome. Uh, the brand within. You're a brand. Or describe yourself in two to five words. Nice. Okay. The power of broke. You don't need money to make money. Nice. Rise and grind. How are you using 24 hours a day? And power shift. That's it. How do you, how do you take back the power, not lose the power? Don't let anybody take power from you. Yeah. I love that idea though, what you just said about the power shift of like the power shift sometimes is you to your employees, you to other people that empowers you more than trying to hoard all that power. That's so powerful. I love that. Okay. Uh, Second questions. What's a, a, you just asked me five questions. No, I know. I know. But that was in one. I put it all in one. I'm going to ask you four more if that's okay. No, it's fine. I just just didn't know you didn't know how to count. But let's (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. I wanted to get more out of you, man. All right, you no problem, good, no problem. You got a lot of good stuff. I get it. I get it. You got a lot of good stuff to say. I get it. Uh, I get it. You know, guys brag three times the amount of what they've really done, yeah, and yeah. women reduce it three times yeah, the yeah. amount. You know, so yeah, so you know give that, right? me more opportunity. To yeah, so if you tell me one is five, if a woman tells me five is really what two, two and a half, whatever. <laughs> tell tell me about a mentor in your life who's made the who's the who's the mentor in your life in your entrepreneurial journey that's made the biggest impact. Biggest implant, biggest in no. Um, first of all, that's mom, but uh, I would have to just think of somebody else because uh, that's the easy one. Uh, Jay Abraham, a guy named oh, Jay Abraham. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, great. Uh, a business that you admire the most? Business that I admire the most, or well, company would be Nike. Yeah, company, yeah. Nike. Nike, okay, cool. Uh, what's your favorite thing about your wife? Her ass. <laughs> I did ask, yeah. We asked it. Well, my wife got the best ass in the business, man. You should see these things. These, I, I'm, I'm okay. I don't want to. No, you she's your go, wife. All right, just, she's, she's your wife. She, I respect her. Damn, I miss her. I, I miss you, boo. <laughs> Where is she right now? Right here. Hmm. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> and your biggest lesson or takeaway from the last 12 months in your life? The last 12 months. Mm. Great question. Never been asked that before. Biggest takeaway for the last 12 months in, in business. Or in, in life, it could be anything. Whatever you Not going to be life, because that will be different. Mm. In business. Gen Z doesn't like credit cards or credit because they grew up 
after 08 and they don't trust banks and how can I sell to them? Mm. When you find the answer, you come and tell us. No. <laughs> we'll watch you do it. <laughs> you we'll go. watch you do it. <laughs> Everyone, that was Damon John, Power Shift, out 10th of March. Transform any situation, close any deal and achieve any outcome. Go grab the book. We will put the link into the bio, into the comments, so you can go and grab a copy of this book if you want to learn more about negotiations, closing deals, and of course, all the great business advice he shared today. Damon, thank you so thank much, you, man. man. Thank you, man. So grateful to meet you, honestly. Thank, thank you, you so much.